0: Amen. This time, children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. and Everyone else can go ahead and take your Bibles, and we're going to be opening up to Philippians chapter 4 together. Philippians chapter 4. We are getting closer and closer to the end of Philippians. And I'm uh, excited, but I'm also uh, disappointed. I've I've really enjoyed our study through the book of Philippians so far. And so we're getting closer to the end, but we're not at the end yet. And so Philippians chapter 4 brings us into our final chapter in the book of Philippians. Now, just as sort of remind you of what we looked at last week, last week we talked about striving for maturity as believers. And so we want to be those who walk with Jesus. We want to be those who bring glory and honor to the Lord. And in order for us to do that, we have to be those that are mature in our faith, those who have grown in our faith. The reality is, all of us, when we profess faith in Christ, christ are babes in christ we're infants in jesus we're just learning the process we're learning the word we're learning how to walk with jesus but as we grow in our faith just like as we grow physically we begin to mature we begin to reach different uh parts of our faith where we can live out our faith even more for the glory of the lord and that's our goal amen our goal is that we would grow in our faith. I've never met a young person that said, and I don't want to grow up. I don't want to drive. I don't want to get older. I don't want to be able to do stuff. I don't want to be able to reach stuff on to the top shelf. That's not what we do, right? We want to get older, right? I mean, how many, of, how many of you can remember when you were a child or when, I know, once you get older, you no longer want to get any older. I get it. But I'm saying when you're young, you want to grow. Right? How many of you have walked in on your child or your grandchild pretending to shave in the mirror? Right? They have no clue how awful that is. Right? You don't want to shave. Shaving is terrible. Shaving is frustrating. Nobody wants to do that daily. But when you're a kid and you see your dad do it, you want to. You want to do it. Right? You want to grow. Right? You're driving a car and your child wants to drive a car. We want to grow, and we ought as believers to want to grow in our faith and grow in our maturity. Right? And so Paul told us last week that we're to strive, we're to work for maturity. But then Paul is going to tell us this week that we're to live out spiritual maturity. You see, it's not enough for us to just simply say we want to be mature. It, 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 we have to be mature. Amen. We have to act mature. We have to be those that live out spiritual maturity on a day-to-day basis. And so Paul is encouraging the Philippians here to live out spiritual maturity in their lives and in the life Of the church. And in the text, we're going to see three ways that we can live out spiritual maturity in our lives this morning. And so, number one, we're going to see that we're to demonstrate unity in the church. Notice this as we read, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. I want to read that again. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, again, We just thank you for the opportunity that we have been giving to hear your word preached this morning. Lord, I pray that it would not be my sermon, but that it would be your word that would be proclaimed, that you would speak to us through the presence and power of your spirit. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and Lord, that you would work in us in a powerful and awesome way. Lord, ultimately that you might be glorified in this place and in Our lives and that's what we ask. That's what we pray and we pray it in your holy name. Amen Amen Well again in the text we're going to see three ways that we can live out spiritual maturity in our lives number one we must demonstrate Unity in the church. Now, if you look at verse 1, Paul begins verse 1 of chapter 4 with that famous word, therefore. We know the word therefore is there for a reason, and it always points us back to what Paul has just said. And so, specifically, Paul is pointing back to what he just said in chapter 3, verses 12 through 21, where he was urging us to strive for spiritual maturity. But as we walk through the text this morning, we're going to sort of see that this therefore really points us back. Back to a lot that Paul has already discussed throughout the book of Philippians, and it serves as a transition to help us sort of be prepared to practice the things that Paul talks about in verses 2 through 8. And so, really, this word, therefore, is helping us see that we need to put these things to practice that Paul has been talking about throughout the entire book of Philippians. Paul says, I don't want you to get to the end of this letter and having said amen a whole bunch and not be changed by the power of God. Paul says, I want you not just hear about spiritual maturity, I want you to live out Spiritual maturity in your daily life and in the life of the church. Now, Paul is about to have some difficult and some awkward conversations. How many of you love awkward conversations, right? Just those conversations that you dread. you feel all just anxious and weird in your stomach, you put it off as long as you can. Sometimes you don't, you're not willing to have them, period. No one likes awkward conversations. And so Paul begins in verse 1, before the awkwardness, before the difficult, he says, I want you to know how much I love you. Notice what he says in verse 1 as Paul is stressing his love for the, for, the, for the Philippians. He says, first of all, you are my brothers in the Lord. You're those that I love, those that I long for. It reminds us of how Paul began back in chapter 1 saying that he yearned for them. He says, you're the ones I love, the ones I long for. You're my joy and my crown. Many view Philippians, the church at Philippi, as Paul's crowning achievement in his ministry. Paul says, you're my joy, you're my crown. And then Paul says, stand firm thus in the Lord. And then he calls them my beloved. Now look with me in verse 1. There's three significant uh, phrases there that we need to understand before we can move on. He says, first of all, that they are to stand firm. That means that they are to endure They are not to waver. They are to stand firm in their faith and in what Paul has been talking about. That's what the word thus points to. The word thus is Paul saying, I want you to stand firm in what we've just addressed in verses 12 through 21 of chapter 3. Paul says, I want you to stand firm in living out and striving for spiritual maturity. Paul says, I don't want you to waver from being spiritually mature. I want you to live out spiritual maturity in your everyday life. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord. I'm so thankful that Paul includes that phrase in the Lord because what that helps us see is that we stand firm not in our ability, not in our power, but we stand firm in the power of Jesus. Amen? Listen. It takes effort. It takes effort on our part. We do have to do something. But it's really not about us doing better or trying harder. It's really about us submitting more and more of ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Because listen, you can try to do better all you want. Right? You can try harder. Right? You can, you can try in your own power and you will come up frustrated and you will come up short every time. And so instead of trying harder, just surrender more of yourself to Jesus. Amen? Amen? And that's why Paul says that we're to stand firm in the Lord. Well, then Paul begins to get to some of that awkwardness, if you will. Paul begins to demonstrate how we can live out spiritual maturity in the life of the church. Now, first of all, Paul says we need to demonstrate unity in the church. Now... Imagine this taking place. Like I I thought about calling people out this morning just as an illustration, but I thought that might get out of hand quickly. But I just want you to imagine what takes place in verses 2 and 3. This is crazy. Think about this scene. Think about this setting. We have gathered together this morning to hear the reading of Paul's letter. Right? Paul's the guy that came to town, was thrown in prison, and when he was in prison, he was singing hymns to the Lord. An earthquake happened, and when the earthquake hit the town of Philippi, all of their shackles fell off in prison. The doors flung open, and Paul and his companions stayed in prison with all the prisoners. No one ran away because everybody was enjoying the worship of the Lord. And the Philippian jailer runs out, and he says, you got to be kidding me. I'm going to die. He takes his sword. He's about to fall on it, killing himself. And Paul says, Woo, woo, woo! What you doing? We're all still here. We're hanging out. Right? And the Philippian jailer runs to Paul and he says, What? Why are you here? Why is everyone here? Who is this Jesus that you're singing about? Right? And the Philippian jailer comes to faith in Christ. And so this is the church that was founded and established there in Philippi. And this is Paul. They've got a letter from Paul. Can't you imagine the Word getting around town and getting around to the church family? Hey, everybody, we got a letter from Paul. Come to the church. We're about to read the letter from Paul. Paul's written. Come, come, come here from Paul. Right? They didn't have telephones. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have any way to keep in contact with people. When you got a letter from someone, it was a huge deal, right? It was a big, big, big deal. And so the whole church is packed full of people because they are about to read aloud the letter of Paul. Everyone's there, including two ladies that are not getting alone. Iodia and Synecdoche. And as Paul is reading this letter, again, use your imagination. Paul's reading this. Paul's hinted a few times about unity in the church. As a matter of fact, remember what he said back in chapter 1, verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith Of the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, He says this complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. Now, Paul sort of mentioned this idea of like mindedness, of being unified in thought, walking side by side. And as he said it, everybody sort of in the church is kind of going, I hope they were listening, right? And those sitting around these ladies, they begin to get a little bit more uncomfortable right their husbands were really really uncomfortable and these ladies were just getting more and more frustrated right and then all of a sudden here in chapter four Paul calls their name publicly in front of the entire church body Paul calls their name you want to talk about awkward conversations amen Like you want to talk about an eventful worship service, Paul calls them out and tells them that they are to agree in the Lord. Now what I want us to notice here is the importance of church unity and the church's responsibility to maintain unity within the church. And I'm just going to tell you, it might get a little bit awkward. But I'm convinced that we are only willing to have awkward conversations with those that we love. Right now, I'm not going to call him by his name. Don't get don't don't worry. Like I'm not about to call your name, so you're good, okay? But I just want to I want to show you how important this is and why Paul does what he does. So Paul calls out these ladies, and Paul says, "Listen, you need to agree in the Lord." Notice that Paul does not pick a side in verse two. He doesn't say that you're right, that you're right. Matter of fact, notice he calls out to both of them in verse two. He says, "I entreat." Iodia and I entreat Synecdoche. He doesn't, he doesn't place any more emphasis on one or the other. This helps us to kind of lead us to believe that most likely the issue they were having was not a theological issue that Paul needed to fix or correct. This is a minor issue that they disagree upon. Now, we don't, we're not given the context. We don't know exactly who the ladies are. We don't know what they're disagreeing about, but they are frustrated with one another. And their frustration has caused division amongst them. They are sisters in Christ who are no longer hanging out, no longer loving on each other. They're frustrated with one another. And Paul says that your frustration is dangerously close to bringing division within the church. And so Paul says, you ladies, you need to get over it. You need to fix it. You need to agree in the Lord. Now notice what he says, agree in the Lord. The reality is, they may never agree on whatever it is they were frustrated about. They they may never come to the same conclusion that you were right, I was wrong, or, or this wasn't that. Paul says this, I don't care what you're squabbling over. I don't care what you're frustrated over. You need to agree that who you are in Christ is more important than what you're frustrated about. Amen? And I'm just here to tell you, there are way too many times when churches get divided and split over nonsense that does not matter. Right? Amen? Like what matters is the truth of the Gospel. What matters is the proclamation of the Gospel. What matters is the glory of God. When we divide over things that don't matter eternally, then we are being foolish. We're being foolish. And so Paul says, ladies, you need to agree in the lord you need to get over whatever it means confess it forgive one another agree to disagree whatever you got to do but what you have to do is you have to come back together as brothers and sisters in christ i want you to notice eodia synecdoche they are not troublemakers they're not non-believers notice what paul says Paul says, these are ladies who I walked with side by side for the sake of the gospel. These are those who partnered with me in ministry along with Clement and the others whose names are written in the book of life. They were believers. They were believers who let something creep in that caused division between them. Listen, this is our warning right we can get divided over foolish nonsense little things right we can get frustrated over things that do not matter sometimes we just need to get over it right sometimes we're not going to get our way in a church and we just need to get over it amen other times we need to talk it out right we just need to, we just need to deal with it and other times we need to hug it out when i was a youth pastor i used to love when a couple of our youth or a couple of our children were frustrated with one another, they'd start pushing and shoving. They wanted to, like, see who was the baddest. I, I, I loved it because I would come alongside of them. I would love on them, and I would say, and here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to hug it out. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, literally, you two are going to hug, and y'all are going to stay hugging until I tell you to quit hugging. And they're like, no, we're not. I'm like, okay, great. All three of us then are going to hug it out. So come in, bring it in, boys. And we would hug. And what would inevitably happen is the awkwardness of hugging it out with Mr. Will would cause somebody to bust out laughing. And then everybody would bust out laughing. And then whatever they were mad about, guess what? It didn't matter any longer, right? We hugged it out, right? Now, we don't have to hug it out necessarily, but we do need to get over those things that bring division in. Amen? Now, if it's theological, we've got to figure out what's right and what's wrong. Right? This isn't theological. Paul says you need to agree in the Lord. And so just notice how important unity is within the church. But then I want you to also notice the church's responsibility to maintain unity. This is where it might surprise you. Look at what Paul says in verse 3. Paul says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women. Now, we don't know who the true companion is. Maybe it was Timothy, maybe it was Epaphroditus, someone else in the church, we're not sure, but here's what Paul says. Paul says, church, it's your responsibility to make sure these two women work it out, right? He says, true companion, you help these women, and the entire church body is then accountable to make sure that these two ladies reconcile. Why else do you think Paul brings it up before the entire church body, right? He's bringing it up between the entire church body so that everyone in the building knows, Paul knows, that these two ladies are at odds. Paul has told us that this guy down here is supposed to go reconcile them and fix this. And we're going to watch, and we're going to hold them accountable to make sure that the vision does not creep into this church body. So it kind of made me wonder, think back to the last time that there was disunity in the church that you were attending. Maybe it was this church, maybe it was a different church, maybe it was like a month ago, maybe it was you know five years ago. Think back to the last time that there was disunity in the church that you were attending. All right? and let me ask you, and we're all guilty, so just, just be, be guilty with me. all right? Did you know about the disunity, the friction, the frustration? Did you know about it before it became a big deal? All right, you don't have to answer out loud, but just think. Did you know about it before it became a big deal? Right. Let me ask you another question. What did you do about it? And then a final question. What would you have done about it if that same situation was happening between your children or between someone in your family? Well, I know what would happen in my house if Haley and Noah are at odds with one another. We're going to deal with it. I'm not living in a house where brother and sister are fighting, right? Right? If that's going to be the case, then Daddy's going to get in the fight too. We're all going to be fighting, right? We're going to deal with the disunity. Why is it that when we come together as a church family that we're more concerned with minding our own business than we are with getting rid of the disunity that's among us? Now, thankfully, I don't know if any disunity is going on at the moment, right? Like, So this isn't quite as awkward as it could be. I'm not having to call names, right, other than Luke and Ted. Right. Right. Yeah. Y'all hug it out. Amen. That's going to be fun. After church, we'll put we'll keep it on Facebook live just so it's, it's out there. We'll let Luke and t- hug it out. It's going to be a great stick around, folks. It's going to be fun. All right. But listen, unity matters. It's a huge, huge, huge deal. Amen. We got to do whatever it takes to maintain unity. Paul called these ladies out in front of everybody. Paul sent someone to fix the problem, right? It's a big, big deal. And if we're going to live out our spiritual maturity, if we're going to grow up in the Lord, then we have to demonstrate unity in the church, amen? And so first of all, Paul says, we're to demonstrate unity in the church. So here's what I want us to do. Let's get involved in when unity is at stake, right? Like when, when unity is at stake and we see division in the church, let's get involved. Let's get over things that divide us and remember that the gospel is what unifies and the gospel is what matters. Amen? Sometimes we just need to get over it, right? Like we just need to just get over it, right? Let's deal with our sin towards another, confessing and forgiving each other when necessary. Listen, I'm going to sin against you, it is going to happen. Right. I'm a human being. If you're around me long enough, I'm going to say something, do something that's going to offend you. Right. When, when that happens, you've got to come to me as a brother and sister in Christ. Will, you shouldn't have said that you did this, you did whatever. And it hurt me, it offended me. And then I've got to deal with my sin by confessing it. Like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And then you've got to deal with it by forgiving me. Right. And that's what has to happen. Right. Doesn't that happen in our families? Right. Like we have to constantly do this. We want our marriages and our families to stay strong and to stay unified. We deal with that stuff. We're a church family. We've got to deal with that stuff. We've got to be willing to have awkward conversations with one another when it's needed. Right? Listen, we we do it with our children. Right? And let me say this, grandparents, especially grandmas, y'all do it with your grandchildren, whether they want to hear it or not. Amen? How many of you remember growing up having a grandma that would just say stuff that you were like, oh, thanks, grandma? Oh, see, so you put on a little bit of pounds there, hadn't you? Thanks, Grandma. Oh, I see your hair's falling out. Appreciate that. I, uh, Yeah, I noticed that as well. That's why I'm trying to cover it up with this hat that I've been wearing all the time. But I appreciate you pointing that out to me, Grandma, right? Listen, listen, Grandma's, you, and, and then all of a sudden you become a Grandma, Amen. And, and you start saying the same stuff, and you're like, ooh, it's kind of fun. I like this. This is enjoyable, right? Listen, we've got to be willing to have some awkward conversations with people that we love. Amen? And that's that's our church family. And so let's get involved in other people's business when it is affecting the unity of the church. It's that important. So we're going to live out maturity in the faith. We must maintain church unity. So demonstrate unity in the church. And then secondly, we must demonstrate faith to the world. Now, look with me as we begin in verse 4. Verses 4 through 7 sort of have this umbrella theme over them that is all talking about faith or trust in the Lord. Paul begins with, with the first point. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. So Paul, first of all, tells us that we are to rejoice in the Lord. Now, this is easy to do as long as everything is going great in our lives. Amen. Like when things are, are awesome, it is so easy to rejoice in the Lord. But when things are not great, that's when we have a hard time rejoicing in the Lord, right? That's what makes what Paul says here so incredibly helpful because notice that Paul does not say rejoice in your circumstances. He says rejoice in your in the Lord. You know why we have such a hard time rejoicing? Is because we rejoice in our circumstances. We've been getting it wrong this whole time. When things are great, we rejoice. When things are bad, we struggle. It's because we're allowing our circumstances to dictate our joy. Paul says, no, 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 this life stinks. Remember, Paul's chained to a Roman guard. Paul's writing this from prison. Amen? Like, that's crazy. right? I read one commentator. He said, the happiest man in Rome was in prison. Right? That's ludicrous. It's nuts. Paul says, don't rejoice in your circumstances. Don't look around to see what's going on. Paul says, instead, rejoice in the Lord. So what do we rejoice in? We rejoice in the fact that I was a sinner that deserved death and judgment, and instead Jesus died for my sin to give me grace and life. I rejoice in the fact that I am nothing but a filthy rag, but when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ covering me. I rejoice in the fact that I was once lost, but now I'm found. I rejoice in the fact that I was an enemy of God. I was a son of disobedience, a child of wrath, and now I have been transformed into a child of the King. I rejoice in the fact that I am a co-heir with Christ. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm not a second-class citizen in the kingdom, right? I'm adopted in, and I am a full-fledged child of God, right? I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in who I am in Christ. And it doesn't matter if I'm in prison. It doesn't matter if I'm chained to a Roman guard. It doesn't matter about my circumstances because my circumstances oftentimes stink. But I'm not rejoicing in them. I'm rejoicing in the Lord always. Notice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Right? And so what Paul says is we have to demonstrate our faith and our trust in the Lord by rejoicing in the Lord regardless of our circumstances. You see, our joy is really dependent upon our faith and trust in the Lord. Paul's literally in prison, doesn't know if he will live or die, and he says, I'm rejoicing in the Lord, right? Because he has faith in the Lord. You and I, we will rejoice in the Lord when we have faith in the Lord. And so no matter what's going on, we can rejoice in the Lord. Secondly, Paul says that we are to let our reasonableness, I can't say the word apparently, our reasonableness be known to all men. look in verse 5. Let your reasonableness or your graciousness or your gentleness. The word can be translated in many different ways. It's sort of a difficult word to bring its meaning into the English. But basically what Paul is saying is let your faith shine through in your life. Let your reasonableness, your your, your right thinking, your gentleness, your graciousness, Paul says it this way in chapter 1, verse 27, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Here's what Paul's saying there in verse 5. He's saying, live like you're saved before everyone. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel in all of life's situations and circumstances. When you're at work, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. When you're on the way to work and you have a flat tire, live in a manner worthy of the gospel, right? When you're working in the yard and things don't go right and you hit your hammer with the thumb, I mean, you hit your thumb with a hammer, live in a manner of the gospel, right? And then in forgiveness, walk across the yard and pick up the hammer you just threw, right? Right? In in all of life, Paul says to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now is that easy? No. Not not even close. Do we struggle only every day, right? But what Paul is saying is if you will live out your maturity in this way, if you'll live in a manner worthy of the gospel all the time, then what it demonstrates is it demonstrates that you have faith and trust in the Lord. It demonstrates that we really do believe that God is sovereign, that God is in control and that he's using all things for his glory. And then notice what Paul says as he continues on in that same verse. He says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Here's the reason that we live in a manner worthy of the gospel, because the Lord is at hand. He is always near, but his second coming is getting closer. Amen? So we want to live like citizens of the kingdom. right? We want to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. So first of all, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Secondly, in this section, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then thirdly, Paul says, we are not to be anxious about anything, but are to take everything to God in prayer. Notice that in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Well, here's a good question. What makes us worry? What causes us to be anxious? What causes us to worry? Well, I mean, we don't have that much time this morning. Amen? Like the list is crazy long. We could go on and on and on about things that cause us to be anxious, that cause us to worry. When I got done with my list and you started on your list, I would go, oh yeah, I forgot about that one. That, that, yep. oh, I forgot about that one. That caused me to worry too. right? And we could leave this place in, in just a fit of worry. right? But I want us to understand that at its root, listen carefully, at its root, worry is a lack of trust in God. Right? That's what it is. Now, that doesn't mean that like you're a bad person because you worry. If that's the case, we're all bad people. Come to think about it, we are all bad people, right? We need the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Right? So we so listen, worry is when we live like and act like God is no longer in control. Right? That's what that's what we we live and we act as if God has taken his hands off things. And like he's no longer there. He's no longer God. He's no longer watching over this, Right? That's what worry is. It's when from our perspective, we're like, nope, we don't trust God now. That is what worry is. And so know what the solution is. Paul says this, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what does Paul say to do when you start to worry? He says, pray through it. Pray through it. Whatever's causing you to worry, whatever's causing you to sort of feel as if God has left it up to you or has lost control, stop right there and just start saying, Lord, this is what's going on. And this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm worrying about. And so, God, I'm coming to you in prayer, and I'm asking you to make supplication. I'm asking you to supply my needs. right? God, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. Here's the situation. You know what's going on, but I'm freaking out about it so, God, Fix it, please. Right? Work it out. And Paul says to do this with thanksgiving. How can you be thankful when things are falling apart? You can be thankful that it's not up to you, but it's up to the God that created you to work it out. Amen? You can be thankful that you're not in it alone, but that God is watching over you. Amen? And so the whole point of praying about it with thanksgiving and asking God to supply your needs in it is to get your focus off of your circumstances and back on God. Amen? Don't look at what's going on. Yeah, it's scary out there. I know. What does tomorrow hold? No clue. I don't know what the next five minutes holds. As far as I know, Luke and Ted might hug it out. Right? We've got no idea what's going to happen. Right? No clue. But you know who does have it all under control? God. You know who loves me? God. You know who's able to handle everything? God. You know who created all things? God. And you know who I have access to? God. You know who's my heavenly father? It's God. And what are we worried about? Amen? What are we worried about? What are we stressing about? And what happens when we turn our attention back to God is what Paul says will happen in verse 7. He says, And then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love this. He says that like a, like, a, like a salve to your wounds, he says the peace of God, it's just going to cover you. And it's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. In other words, even when it doesn't make sense that you're okay and that you're at peace because your circumstances are really that bad, he even when it doesn't make sense, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your heart and it will guard your mind. Well, I don't know about you. But when I'm worried, that's exactly what I need guarded. Amen. Like when I'm worried, like I need my heart guarded. But I also need my mind guarded. Because, man, my thoughts, they just, they just feed into the worry. They feed into the anxious. I, I'm imagining every difficult, harsh scenario that could come. Right? And all the while, God's saying, I, I got this. I got this. It's okay. Right, And what we find and what we learn is that although that does not guarantee that our plan will come about, it does guarantee that his plan will come about. Right Now, sometimes his plan is not our plan. Like Paul, for instance, probably didn't imagine and envision, hey, I'm going to go to Rome in prison. Paul said he was headed to Rome. Paul had an intention to go to Rome. Paul wrote the Romans and says, I'm, I'm coming. I don't think Paul sort of had tickets lined up you know, with Delta in order to get to Rome via prison. Like, that wasn't his his preferred method of getting to Rome, right? But Paul is looking at all his circumstances and going, oh, okay, Lord, this is how we're getting to Rome. Okay, free ride. I like this. Free room and board. Okay, perfect, right? And so, don't worry. Instead, look to Jesus. Amen? Now, what is that? That's living out your maturity. That is living out spiritual maturity. Amen? Don't freak out. Trust in Jesus. And so Paul says in in verse 4 through 7, sort of this umbrella thing, he says, demonstrate faith to the world. Let the world see you live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let the world see that your circumstances are terrible, but you're still trusting in God demonstrate faith to the lost and dying world. And then finally, Paul says, demonstrate transformation in our minds. Look with me in verse 8. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about or meditate on these things. Well, let me ask you a question. What do you normally think about? It's kind of scary, amen. Because if your mind's anything like my mind, listen, this thing up here it can be like a sinful, depraved, dark, scary, shameful place, right? Like, like I don't, yeah. Like th- this thing up here is not pure. It 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 is it is in need of purification. Oftentimes, amen. And so the reality is like like this thing is bad, this thing is, is, is sinful, it's wicked, how in the world am I going to be able to think about these good things and meditate on these good things all the time? Well, in order for that to happen, I've got to somehow renew my mind. I've got to somehow transform my mind. If I'm going to live out maturity in my life, then my mind has to be fixed. Amen? And so what Paul is talking about in, 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 verses, in verse chapter 4, verse 8 is sort of the, the outworking of what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. These famous verses, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here's what Paul says there that helps us to see how to do what he says here in verse 8. Paul says that your minds are corrupt. Amen? Transform them. How do you transform them? By not being conformed to the world. Stop thinking the way the world thinks. Right? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How then can I renew my mind? Well, the only way I can renew my mind is by putting godly stuff in so that the worldly stuff goes away. Right? And so that's what he means by transforming your mind in Roman. That's why Paul says in Philippians, think about good and godly stuff. Because if you'll think about those things that are true, those things that are worthy of praise, those things that are just, if you'll think about the good stuff, it'll help the bad stuff to be pushed aside, right? It'll it'll help the bad things to go away, right? And so what Paul says in verse 8, he says, Demonstrate that your mind has been transformed. Well, transformation of mind takes place by, number one, the power of God. Only God can transform your mind. And number two, by spending time in the Word. Your mind is transformed through the purity of the Word. And I want you to understand there is not a shortcut. Right? There's no fast food version of this. Like it takes time. It takes effort. You have to literally spend time in the Word. You have to spend time reading it. You have to spend time hearing it taught and preached. You have to let God's Word, the truth of God's Word, come in so that the other stuff can go out. And as a matter of fact, if you want to listen to the description again, whatever is true Honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and anything worthy of praise, all of those things describe the Word. Amen? Now, Paul's not exclusively talking about the Word. He's talking about all kinds of good things. But what it describes emphatically is the Word. And so meditate on, think on, read on in the Word. Amen? And then look around this world that God has created and focus on the good stuff. Look out for the good stuff. God has given us good all around us. Amen? God has created this world. It's marred by sin, but it's still God's creation. There's good all around us. There's good in your family. There's good in your work. There's good in your world. There's good in your school. Meditate on, focus on, look for those things that are good. Amen? And stop focusing on the bad. Because the reality is, We focus way too much effort and attention on the bad. The world's falling apart. Yes, I know. Politicians are corrupt. Yes, I know. Right? There's a pandemic going on. Yes, I know. Right? There's there's chaos and craziness all around us. Yes, I know. Right? State loss, I know. Carolina won, even worse, I know. Right? There's terrible things happening all around us. I get it. Like there really is. Stop focusing on those things. Stop being overwhelmed by those things. Stop giving all of our effort and attention to those things. Amen? And meditate on the good. Meditate on the good. Think about these things. I have a feeling if Paul was here with us, he'd be calling us out by name. Why are you thinking about that? Why are you so concerned about that? Why are you focused on that? Why are you worried about that? Stop! Think about the good that God has given you in your life. Meditate on those things. And when you do, your faith in God will be strengthened more and more and more. Amen? Y'all better hurry up because we're finally to verse 9, all right? Paul says in verse 9, what you have learned, what you have received, in other words, what you've heard and taken in, he says, and seen in me what you've seen me set as an example. Paul says these important words, practice these things. Listen, it's not enough to hear it. It's not enough to amen it. we got to do it. Amen? And that's what Paul says in verse 9. He says, it's time to live out your spiritual maturity. It's time for us to grow up in Christ. Amen. We're not all on the same level. We're not all the same age in our faith. It's like we're not all the same age in life, right? But it's time for all of us to grow up in our faith, amen? We need to be progressing. We need to be moving forward. We need to be growing. We need to be maturing. And the only way that's going to happen is if we live out our maturity. So it's time for us to do it, amen? It's time for us to do it. Let's pray. It's time for us to practice these things. So let's demonstrate unity in the church. Let's demonstrate faith to the world. And let's demonstrate transformation in our minds. Or to put it another way, let's live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's grow in our faith and in our understanding. And let's live out spiritual maturity. Now in order for that to happen in your life, You first and foremost have to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. As we stated earlier, the good news of the gospel, the thing that we can be thankful for, the reason we can rejoice is because we were all sinners who deserved death and judgment and hell. But God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty of death that we owed so that we could have forgiveness and everlasting life instead of torment and everlasting death. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, if you're listening online and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, I want you to know today can be the day that you give your life to Jesus. Today can be the day that you commit to following Jesus. And today can be the day that you truly have a reason to rejoice in the Lord. If you're here, then in just a few moments, as we stand to sing the hymn of invitation, that's a perfect opportunity for you to come forward and, and to let me know, Will, I want to give my life to Jesus. If you're listening online, then as, as I'm even, even as I'm talking now, go ahead and start to respond. Send us a message, text, call, whatever you want to do, but respond as you feel God calling you into a personal relationship with him but if you're here if you're listening and you feel god speaking to you and calling you to him then i want you to respond secondly i want to ask are you living out spiritual maturity well the reality is with the list that we looked at this morning with the three lord examples that we saw demonstrating church unity demonstrating faith and and demonstrating transformation of mind if you're like me then you're you're kind of saying, yeah, kind of in this area, but not so much in this area. I need to grow here, but I'm doing all right here. Listen, that's just the reality of life. That's the reality of trying to, to live in a way that we follow Christ well. And so if you're living out spiritual maturity in one area, then praise God for it, thank Him for it. And if in other areas you're struggling, bring those things to the Lord. Confess those. Ask for his empowerment. Surrender more of yourself to him. And listen, if you want to, you can come and pray on this altar and you can give those things to the Lord. I would love to talk with you about the things that you're struggling with and maybe can help you through some of those struggles. You've probably got the same struggles I've got. And we can help one another. But let me encourage you, if you are here and you're a believer, live out your spiritual maturity. You may be here and the Lord is leading you to make this your church home. You may be here and you have something else that you want to come to this altar and pray for. Whatever and however, the Lord is leading you to respond. Let's respond as we commit to following him now. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together to hear your word. And now, Lord, we pray that we would respond to your word. That as you lead, that we would follow. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves in this invitation to you now. And we pray that your will would be done. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.